Hello, listeners. Welcome to today's show on Raza with your host, Grace Hopper. According to Jeremy Indica, victims of child abuse are being failed because we as a society don't want to face reality. For these children, there is no environmental society that's a safe space to speak out. We are just not talking about abuse enough, even though it's so prevalent with tens, if not hundreds of thousands of incidents that are taking place in the UK. In this country, there is a system that is failing victims because it is not equipped or sophisticated enough to deal with the situation, particularly when it comes to those who are offending. Too much of the focus is on the wrong areas. Abuse prevention starts with adults. This means that those involved in committing acts of abuse are operating in a pedophile's paradise where there is a strong likelihood that they will never be caught and prosecuted and therefore will be able to continue the acts of abuse and encourage others to do the same. There is no focus on the people committing these crimes or those who have the thoughts or temptations to carry out acts of abuse and who are aware of the possibility that they may well get away with it. Whether wider society likes it or not, there has to be a determined effort to engage with those committing their abuse in order to get them to stop. Today, I have the great pleasure of introducing Jeremy Indicar, an engineer who has worked in the automotive, aviation and aerospace industries. He's the CEO of Something to Say, an organization dedicated in breaking the silence surrounding child sexual abuse. Welcome, Jeremy. It's a privilege to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invite. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. That's great. Kindly tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, so my name is Jeremy Indicat. I am currently raising awareness for child sexual abuse in the most creative ways that I can think of. I'm using film, photography, animation, to try to engage the audience on a topic that generally is uncomfortable to hear and things have moved from step by step and i now also run a movement called something to say where we are sharing other people's stories and also information around these taboo topics thank you for sharing a bit about yourself You studied as an engineer and worked in the aviation, aerospace and automotive industry, as Elia said. Has the abuse you suffered as a child impeded your career in any way, in terms of having lack of confidence or conversely, has it in some way given you an added confidence? It's a really difficult question to answer because obviously the aftermath of an experience of abuse in your childhood can be very very complex and when I'm asked that question sometimes it's really difficult to know exactly the effects that it that it um, had on my personality but I like to go with the estimate of actually it added a value in some way I feel like it made me feel unstoppable it made me feel resilient. It made me feel strong um, because I had been through something so horrific. Maybe I felt like nothing else could hurt me in that way. 
to that level and the desire to achieve and the desire to progress and the desire to set myself targets and um, complete them was a very strong desire inside of me. Now, did that come from the experience of abuse? Some would say yes. Um, We see lots of um, people wanting to become overachievers following a horrific uh, situation in their childhood. But really, I don't think we know. I think it's the brain is so complex. I don't think we really know. Um, so I'm not sure did the abuse affect my career. I definitely know it didn't create a negative reaction towards my career. I was very confident. I was very ambitious. I was very motivated um, during my career as an engineer. Thank you for that inspiring um, answer, Jeremy. Uh, that uh, I know with what you've just told me that, you know, what happened to you didn't subtract from who you were or to who you are. So um, I hope our listeners today will take something from what you just said now. I understand that despite having an illustrious career in engineering ahead of you, you said that goals of engineering started to feel less important. You have now given it up in order to devote your time to highlighting child abuse. I, Grace, made a similar decision when I survived domestic abuse. Was this decision difficult to make? So decision to leave my engineering career and pursue this mission of raising awareness was a gradual process over many, many years. So when I first really started thinking about what happened in my childhood, I was in full flow in my engineering career. I was actually chasing my dream job of working in Formula One, working and designing the race cars was one of my goals. And I was very much pursuing that. But after I started speaking to friends about what happened and that was the first time I'd ever released the story out into the open and then I started researching in the evening about other people that were going through similar things and I started to get really interested in the topic then all of a sudden that started to overshadow my desire for engineering my engineering career started to feel insignificant compared to this other interest that was now growing and the more I started speaking about it the more this interest in what was going on out there started to grow so by the time I had come to the situation where I made the the decision to stop working collect the savings that I had and pursue this mission and try to build something actually it wasn't a difficult decision because by that point I knew it to be the correct decision and I was confident in that so actually it just felt like the natural steps of progression that I I must undertake. It means that you were very convinced this was the natural thing to do just to raise the awareness about child sexual abuse. Yes and I was I couldn't see anything more important to do with my story and the situation and I could take everything that I learned from my engineering career all the skills and uh, apply them to this project that I'm now running 
And it, I, I couldn't see anything better for me to do um, with uh, my story. And again, like I say, the situation that we got on our hands. You were abused for two years by a friend of the family. Yet you state that your friends were unaware of this. Is that because you didn't mention anything to them about the abuse you suffered due to a sense of shame? Or was it because they didn't understand what you were saying? So during the abuse and for a decade after the abuse, nobody ever knew what was going on. I showed no common signs, stereotypical signs that we associate with the child being abused. And literally nobody even had a suspicion. I didn't tell anyone because I knew I wasn't too. I was told that it's to be kept a secret. And I had been cleverly groomed and manipulated to believe that what I was doing with this man was something that was special for our friendship and something that was quite normal for us to do together. So none of the abuse was painful physically. So there was nothing alarming when it came to the actual act of abuse. In fact, a lot of the things that we were doing were quite comforting, cuddling, fondling. They would give me, as an eight-year-old boy, a physical reaction of comfort, excitement, um, and the genitals the genitals, I'm a human being, the genitals were giving me a response. So all of those things had tricked my brain or programmed my brain or led my brain to not see this as an alarming situation. Therefore, I never said anything to anyone. And we know for sure that there was never a suspicion about anything because my friends who some of them I've known for 30 years now, who were friends during the time of my abuse, and we have stayed friends up until now, I'm 37 years old now. When I started telling them 10 years ago, everybody was so shocked that they just couldn't believe it. In fact, I still think they can't believe Not that they don't believe it. They're still feeling that feeling of shock. How? You never show... You know, you never showed any signs. I've also spoken to adults who were around at the ages that I was, um, this was happening. And they all say to me as well, Jeremy, you were a young boy who we would have never guessed that this would be happening to. Thank you, Jeremy, for being so real with this particular question. Um, how did the man who abused you con convince you that it was something that you needed? That is a... Uh a question that I would love to find out. And the only way I believe we can truly find that out is by asking him because I was so cleverly groomed. It was almost like I didn't even realize what we were doing. Um, and he would have had various techniques or he knew exactly what to do. He knew exactly how to handle me to get what he wanted wanted and i suppose we are constantly in this in this um in these conversations that we're having online now we are trying our best to find out what the grooming process is all about 
how is this working so effectively? How is it managing to silence children at the time of the abuse, after the abuse? Some people never say anything for their whole life. Sometimes they're groomed for their whole life, even though the abuse is an isolated incident that happens for a period of time in their childhood. They're still groomed throughout their whole life. They're fearful. They feel shameful. They're worried about saying anything. It's like this grooming process is so intense. And uh, I, I feel like there's a certain irony to it because we are running around trying to study what's going on here. And we're probably... I don't know for sure, but we are making good ground. But really, the people who know all the answers are the people that are doing it. So maybe one day in the future, one day, I could set up an interview with the people that are actually doing it. And I could find somebody to be open with us about how they are managing to successfully capture the minds of young people to carry out this absolutely horrific act. Are you of the opinion that the understandable feelings of silence, shame, and embarrassment that surrounds child abuse and all other forms of abuse for that matter, are in part responsible for allowing abusers to continue when they could have been stopped, like Saval, for example? I would hesitate to use the word responsible there but i would say i believe it is the case for sure that the shame and the fear is allowing abusers to continue unnoticed because of course the fear that this brings to speak out means that people are not speaking out and therefore abusers are not caught or identified. And not just that, the fear and the shame that is preventing people from speaking out is preventing them from getting the support that they need to get out of that situation. And this is no fault of the person that is being abused like you've mentioned in the question, these are natural responses to being exploited in some way or being harmed in some way. And one of my goals with the movement where we're sharing people's stories, we've nearly shared a hundred now, is for it to be a place where people can visit and read other people's stories and see that Actually, that shame and that fear is not necessary. And we don't have to have it. And we can get around it. And we can break it down. And I believe one way of doing that is to see other people that have already done that. It would be nice if, as we move forward in this space, that it becomes more open and acceptable for people to start talking about this. Maybe something similar to like what mental health situation is now. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't talk about something like that. Now it's widely accepted and encouraged. And maybe one day we can get to that point. 
I hope so too. I pray it does happen. Just like you said, mental health was, a, was something of a taboo 20, 30 years ago, but now it's quite open. People are coming forward and speaking about um, the mental health issues they have. So you went from feeling like you were the only person to have experienced abuse to realizing that there were thousands who had suffered in silence for so long. What were your feelings when you realized that you were not alone? I genuinely couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when I started searching to see what other people were going through. When I found Facebook groups with thousands of people sharing their stories, I found chat rooms, people confiding in each other, sharing their stories. And and it was, I could only see the pain and the suffering it just felt so powerfully sad and that was a big turning point for me in particular when I read one story from an 80 year old woman who explained that she comes from an era where you would never ever say anything about this and therefore she had suppressed it for her whole life and she had talked about it really holding her back in so many areas of her life and that's really when I started to realize that this is going on absolutely everywhere and that was a real catalyst for me too that was another kind of ingredient to the mixture of me being convinced that leaving my job is the correct move. Once you had quit engineering and started to speak publicly about the abuse you had suffered, you found that that sometimes members of the audience heckled you for drawing attention to the taboo subject of child abuse. It makes me wonder just why those people had come to listen to you in the first place. If that was going to be their reaction, or do you think they might be victims of abuse and find it too difficult to confront what they had suffered? Okay, there's a number of reasons, and I've thought about this a lot since um, my recent heckle that I received when I was talking at a conference, which really surprised me because it was an abuse prevention conference. So you would expect everybody that was attending um, to understand the certain things that you say and you don't say now that happened around a month ago and it was very difficult for me to to handle when I was on stage and I spoke to a lot of people about that because I don't think that's going to be the last time that I receive uh, a heckle from the audience and the discussions were around the fact that it could have been for a number of reasons. One of them could have been because that particular person felt so, had such a reaction in them that this is actually happening. And maybe a real life story, this was the first real life story they'd ever heard. And 
it strike them so hard so deeply that they live in a world where this horrific thing actually does happen to children that they came and shouted out something to try to find out to try to pull me down in some way maybe they were scared that they live in this type of world maybe they were sad maybe they felt a little bit guilty that they go about their own life and not even considering that this goes on that's one possibility of course the possibility is also there that this person has experienced some form of abuse in their childhood and being at this conference really confronted their past and maybe it's something that they've never wanted to give attention but my performance my speech my presentation was forcing them to confront their history that they don't want to confront yet. And maybe that's why they had a reaction. And the third possibility that we could think of, me and the team that I work with after we discussed this in great detail, was that possibly there's somebody who offends and they're seeing the strength of other people who have been through this experience speaking at this conference with strength and courage and they didn't like it. Now, at this abuse prevention conference, there was a variety of people. It wasn't just people that have been through an abusive situation. It was also the sponsors of that particular charity that were running the conference. So there was an insurance company there. There was a solicitor's company there. There was the local landscaping company there. So there were a lot of people who may have not actually sat down and listened to this subject in depth. So... The reaction of that heckler could have been a variety of things. All I do know is what he shouted out was out was very inappropriate. I tried my best to handle it at the time. I managed to come up with an answer to answer what he was asking. Um, but then he came at me again and everybody in the audience, I could feel everybody in the audience just couldn't believe what was happening. But these are not going to be the last times that this happens because my plan is I want to get this subject into onto platforms that don't normally talk about it. Right. Because I can, um, we of course want to continue the conversations around the platforms like your yours and other podcasts that are talking about healing, uh, abuse prevention, survivors of this type of experience. But we also want to get it on, onto platforms which don't normally talk about it because their audiences never normally think about it. And there are going to be questions that are confronting. Um, the general public has questions that may be not appropriate, but we need to answer them. So as far as heckles go, it is very disturbing and very upsetting for, for the community of us when we hear the misunderstanding of these experiences, when we hear that these experiences aren't taken seriously enough, but that's our mission here to change the culture. And that's what we're aiming for. I'm really uh, so pleased with what you just said now, because we need to change the narratives mm. regarding this um, taboo subject, mm. so to speak. Mm. So when you did finally report your abuser to the police, the allegation was rejected due to lack of evidence. You then found yourself convicted for stalking your abuser. Yes. How did it feel when you, as the victim, was punished and the abuser and the prosecution labelled you as a perpetrator? 
So it's the craziest twist in a story. No, I mean, when I think about it, I still can't believe it. So I tried to prosecute the man that did this to me for the crime. Of course, he denied it. That's expected. And my prosecution attempt lasted nine months where we tried to get all the evidence that we possibly could together. And unfortunately, it was too weak to take to any further. So we had to drop the case. Just before I move on, I know that causes a lot of anger with people and we want to be furious at the police for this. Let's not be furious at the police men and women for this. Let's be furious at the lack of funding that they get to, to, to pursue these cases. The reason why we couldn't take my case to court is one of the reasons we, we were weak to start with, but the system can only take a certain amount of cases a year to court because of money, funding. Mine didn't make it. That's why we couldn't prosecute. And after feeling so angry that he had denied it, I decided to find out where he lived and knock on his door to confront him, just to let him know that what he did will never be forgotten. And just to let him know that if he's still doing it, he should at least be thinking twice. And then I was arrested and he managed to prosecute me. Now, the irony in this is we spent nine months trying to prosecute him. It failed. After I'd knocked on his door, he had me in court. Within, he had a court date within a week. Now, what I was being charged with was stalking for finding out where he lives harassment for messaging him a number of times asking him to meet me and assault for pushing the door into him when he went to slam it in my chest and leaving a red mark on his chest being in court was quite the intense experience and being charged with these crimes was quite a frustrating experience but it is what it is I wouldn't change my actions. I definitely wouldn't do it again. That would be not a sensible move by me. But I wouldn't change my actions because I managed to get my time in front of him at the door and make sure that he knows that it will never be forgotten and that if he's still doing it, to at least be thinking twice, at least that as a minimum. And I will continue to tell this twist in the story and I think it's a very powerful twist in the story so i will tell it to my advantage and use it to help us highlight the problems that we have when prosecuting abusers okay so you felt you didn't have enough tools to nail him so to speak and do you think um he got away with this absolutely so he denied it and he got away with it it's as simple as that. And that's no good, but no good because of me. It's larger than me. This situation's bigger than me. Because now we have a man out there that we know has done something with a child, myself, and nobody's monitoring him. Nobody's making sure about what job he does, what he's doing online, what access he has to other children. So that's where the big problem is. 
a lot of people's instant reaction is to feel sad for me because I didn't get this thing that we are calling closure. For me, that's a minute part of the problem that we now have, which is, as I just mentioned, there's a man out there. And that was what's... Because now, if we find out that he's still doing it to more children, then we really have failed. Catastrophic failure. Because I highlighted it. But we didn't have the funding because the police... This department, the Child Abuse Investigation Team Department, their funds are constantly being cut. Why? Because this is not taken seriously enough. Why? Because we don't have an environment or a society that's a safe space to speak out. We're Why? Because we're just not talking about this enough. From schools to homes to TV to media, The whole thing is in its archaic stage. It's like it's in the Stone Ages. Like, what's going on here? We have something that's so prevalent in our societies, and it's the thing that we talk about the least, but it's the thing that we would hate to happen to anyone else. They're all just contradicting actions. So this is just all fuel for my fire. I feel very frustrated. Like even just right now, after saying that, I feel very frustrated with the situation that we've got and I'm going to do my best to try and change it. In short, what you're saying is that there's a possibility the system is failing children that have gone through abuse. The system is not equipped to deal with this situation whatsoever it's not equipped or it's not advanced enough to deal with the disclosures it's not sophisticated enough to deal with people who are offending and are prosecuted and it is lagging behind what we need today would you say that's um prevalent in the uk or just all over the um the world so to speak in other it's prevalent in other countries i would hesitate to comment on other countries because i don't know enough but what i know from my experience of prosecution process we are really um lacking behind here from what we need and from what i hear it's Mm. the same maybe even worse in other countries thank you for that honest answer Last week in the Philippines, it was reported in the Independent and Mirror newspapers how parents, due to poverty, use their children to perform sexually explicit videos or live streaming via the web to people overseas like Netherlands, the UK, Australia, just to name a few. How can such children be helped? Yes, I've seen some documentaries that are reporting on this. And it's very, very complicated, that question. And something I've been learning as I've been doing more interviews with experts on my YouTube channel is that 
we focus an overwhelming amount of our time on using children to prevent abuse, educating children, giving them the tools and knowledge to understand if something's happening to them, talking to children about speaking out, communicating with the children about abuse, teaching them about that, which I believe is absolutely necessary absolutely necessary it just has to be the conversation that we have alongside the stranger danger conversation and the say no to drugs conversation same thing however what we don't do from what i've seen being in this space now for four years the thing that we really don't do a lot of at all is put any focus on the people that are doing this crime or maybe even more importantly, the people who have the thoughts or temptations in their head that we need to reach to somehow convince them not to do it in the first place. So we're all about educating young people and teenagers and children to get them equipped to prevent abuse when actually Stuart from a charity here in England, the director of a charity called Stop It Now, he said to me, abuse prevention starts with adults because we want to live in a world where we stop or prevent the adults from doing this. Then we'd never need to talk to the children about this. That's the goal. You know, we, we shouldn't need to be talking to a seven-year-old about somebody potentially touching them. That's not the world we want to live in. But at the moment, we have, we, ha we have to, I understand. But it's the adults we need to focus on. Because if we can stop them from doing it, then we don't need to speak with children. So how can we, coming back to your original question, we need to start opening this conversation with the adults that are carrying out this crime have served their prison sentence and when they're released what are we going to do with them there and even before we need to we need to get there before the crime is committed but nobody wants to talk about talking to pedophiles because we don't want to give them any light of day because we're so angry with them but i don't think that's going to help prevention of children like this that are being exploited so what punitive actions can be taken against such parents by their government? So are we going to be angry at the parents for doing this or are we going to somehow understand that they are that this is their one of their only options to put food on the table? Like can we as living in this country um, even appreciate the desperation that there must be uh, to create these types of videos with your own children to try to provide for the family. Now, I know there will be corruption in this, and I know there will be, it's, it's not all to put food on the table, right? I know that. But are we attacking the parents here? Again, are we attacking the parents, or are we going to attack the people that are requesting the video? Because without the demand, there's no need for the supply. That's correct. Right? Yes. So 
what we're going to start doing in prison, like start putting prison sentences on the parents, get the parents taken away from the children. And then the children are left in wherever they go next. Or are we actually going to go and find the people that are actually doing this? Sophisticated computer systems, actually monitoring the internet, catch the people that are actually doing it, remove the demand. And then the supply isn't there. I actually was thinking about this as well. I said, this is a, a very sensitive question and the sense that take for example now we are in um a tight economic space in the uk not only in the uk worldwide things are very expensive gas electricity you know it's trebles um this year and rising cost of food rising cost of living how will people cope so this is quite sensitive and I'm really happy the way you've answered it because it does make sense mm. for us to tackle the demand, not really the supply. Because mm -hmm. if there is no demand, like you said, there'll be no supply. Right. So furthermore, can the international communities or governments punish the consumers of these videos? You've actually, you've mm. actually answered mm. it mm. indirectly. So but do you think they should punish them? Of course, I think they should be punished, but I also think that that shouldn't end there. I don't think us celebrating that a paedophile has got 10 years in jail should be a celebration. That's not a celebration. We, we managed to, f okay, there is an element of celebration to it. We managed to identify the abuser. We've successfully prosecuted them, but they get a very small sentence for the actual crime. The sentence always lives with the victim because they live with it for their whole life. 10 years for abusing young girls is, is, is nothing, but it's not just prosecuting these people. It doesn't end there. That doesn't remove the thing from their head. That doesn't remove the desire from their head. We're talking about a sexual desire here. Something that is like um, so part of our structure as a human being. It's like deep in us, sexual desire. Giving them a prison sentence doesn't remove this from their head. They still have a desire for that thing that they're chasing. So it's not just about prison sentences. It's not just about prosecution. It's actually also about... ensuring that they don't reoffend. In fact, maybe that's even bigger. Maybe that's bigger than, than the big prison sentence. Because if you give them 10 years, when they're released, that doesn't mean that they're not that person anymore. So, you know, we're, we're, we're again, I feel like the focus is, 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 is too much of the focus is on, on the wrong areas. So we know, like you just said now, it's an innate thing in humans to have a sexual urge. Furthermore, you said, you know, it's not the prison sentence because the problem is still there, so to speak. So it's, it's, is it the rehabilitation or what do we do? Okay. So 
I actually purposely avoided the word rehabilitation because it makes a lot of people angry because people then just come back with, you can't, you can't erase this from people's minds. There's no rehabilitation possible for these people. And you know what? Maybe I agree with that. But to give them tools to use every time their urge becomes great, that's something that maybe would be a useful thing to do. So that when we're not there and they're going through a cycle where the urge is becoming so great, they feel themselves maybe offending, they need the tools and the knowledge of how to get themselves out of that space. And the wording around this is very, very difficult because if we use the word help, it causes a massive reaction with people. We don't want to help these people. They're evil. If I use the word support, there's an equal reaction. So I don't know the correct word to use. However, what I know, what I believe is that if we only push these people into the corner, into the dark, and we don't even want to look at them. We're not going to get anywhere. Because this is not just your stereotypical 60-year-old man lonely behind his computer. This is people of all ages that have these tendencies, from all social backgrounds, from all economic backgrounds, in all positions in society. This isn't just the elite. This isn't just the people in power. This is more people than we would like to consider. And one of the things I think highlights this nicely for us is I heard that one of the fastest growing pornographic categories is stepsister and stepdaughter. So things are getting really extreme on the mainstream. And you don't think that the stepdaughter thing will lead to the next extreme level and the next extreme level. It's like we've got to start understanding that these tendencies are not your the extremities that the media portrays. And that should lead us to understand that the situation is massive. And just to push people in a corner if they if we find out they've got something in their head push them in the corner and turn the light out on them and and hope and pray that they never offend that's failing children can the international communities or governments punish the consumers of this video they should yes but that's not the only piece of the puzzle it's one small piece of the puzzle And for people to think that once you do that prosecution, it's all over and we're good is incorrect in my belief. So there's still a lot of work to be done then. Absolutely. And it takes collaboration from all facets of the society or community, so to speak. So they say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to protect a child. That's correct. Well said. So what advice would you give teenagers or children going through any form of abuse, be it sexual, physical? 
my advice to anybody listening that is going through an abusive situation, if they are in a position where they would like to talk to somebody about what they've got going on, I would like to just say that there are a variety of ways that you can do that, depending on how you feel like you want to talk about it. You could Google your local charity and and call the help, free helpline. You could go onto a social media platform and find where people are sharing their stories and you could share through there. You could find chat rooms online as well, doing the same thing if you would like to do it electronically. You could also, again, find a local charity to you that you like the look of and go and speak in person with somebody. A lot of these services are free. You could find somebody in your circles that you trust to speak to. There are a variety of ways. If that's something that you feel like you want to do, But I also say that that may not be a good move for everybody. Everybody is different and that's fine. There's, there's a, there's even more things you could, you could do if you're feeling like you need to ease the discomfort that you're going through. You could also just journal what's happening to you. If you feel like you need to get it off your chest and for journaling, my advice would be because it's probably going to be a little painful would be to sit down and write two sentences about what you've got going on and write them in a way that when you read them back to yourself, make you feel strong. Then come back the next week and write another two sentences and rewrite the first two sentences in a way that make you feel strong. And then every week you'll start to build a picture of what's happening. Now, people that are listening may be like, oh, but this is not stopping the abuse that they're going through right now. It would be incorrect for us to think that being in an abusive situation and just telling someone about it to make it stop is easy. That's not easy. These abusive situations go on for a long time. What I'm trying to say is, and I don't feel like I've summarized that question very well, but what I'm trying to say is if there were young people who are going through an abusive situation or struggling with the memories of one, that there are many options for you keep working at it there are people out there that want to help you you can put a stop to your you can get away from your situation if you need to there are many agencies many charities that are are waiting to hear from you and they're excellently put together and there's a big community of survivors out there now that you can confide in if you need to i just want to show strength and courage that is quite vital, Jeremy. Mm. I'm not sure whether to ask the question, but I might as well ask the question. Yes. Do you think children abuse the system to punish their parents? Okay. There is always going to be a certain percentage of people that exploit the system for personal gain. There's always going to be much similar to there's always going to be a percentage of corruption in an industry. There's always going to be 
percentage of personnel that are corrupt within the police force, within the healthcare system, within the teacher system, uh, education system. I feel like that's just part of the structure. Much like you're always going to get a certain percentage of young people that exploit the schooling system, that exploit the education system. Yes, there are going to be some children who use this as an opportunity for personal gain. I don't think we can get away from that. And I and and they are children. And I think we've got to accept that that happens. And that's why, actually, yeah. I see some danger in when we say for minors that we will automatically believe every disclosure now i'm not saying this is very difficult to talk about right it's very difficult for me to articulate correctly so please bear with me i'm not saying we disbelieve people who disclose but we should look at everything we should accept the disclosure yeah. correctly and there are many great techniques to do that but we should also look into everything because they're minors and as you said the question says that there are going to be a certain percentage that are using the system for their personal gain we just need to be very vigilant with the adults in this situation and we must do our uh, do our diligence yeah to 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 carry it out correctly Hmm. difficult question it is it is that was why i said i'm not sure that to ask the question or not i like the challenge so <laughs> yeah thank you thank you Jeremy. what we've discussed today is quite a massive uh problem not just um in our communities but it's a global menace so to speak so now i'm wondering the children are our next generation how do we equip them? How do we prepare them for this? And how do they, we'll start at the process, or how do they continue? Because we're going to definitely pass the button to them. Mm, I agree. And this is not just about stopping child abuse right now, even though that's a massive part of it. It is about inspiring the next generation to continue with this. And like you say, pass the baton. We will one day pass the baton to them, which is a great way of actually putting it. And for me, I think one of the big tasks that I am challenging that I find very challenging is how are we going to get this subject on everybody's table? Because it is more straightforward to get this subject in the survivor circles or in the professional circles, like um, the therapist, circles the counselor circles the social worker circles because they're interested in it they want to learn more for their job or their to understand their own experience but how are we actually going to get it outside of those circles because it is everyone's concern but as soon as you say child sexual abuse or any abuse of minors for that matter people don't want to look at it and of course they don't want to look at it who wants to be chilling out on a Thursday night, as an example, scrolling through their social media and stop at this subject. Nobody wants to do that because it's too uncomfortable. And it is. That's just, you know, we understand that. But how are we going to turn this on its head so that we engage people who don't normally think of this topic 
in the seriousness that it should be considered in. How are we going to get them to stop at the content? How are we going to get them to click on the content to watch more? How are we going to get everybody informed? And I think one way that I have an idea to do that is through film. Now, when you think about something like Netflix, it's common conversation when you meet with a friend over coffee or talk with a friend on the phone, what are you watching on Netflix? Or, oh my God, I've seen this thing on Netflix. It's incredible. You should check it out. Can we get our subject in that conversation? Now, that would be incredible. Yeah, it's real. Right. I feel like it's possible. I don't know how, but I feel like it's possible. A, a clever TV drama, a clever film that people are watching, they're engaged, they're engaged in the characters, but without realising it, as they watch that character and follow that character through their life, they're learning about this subject. That would be a great thing. Another thing that I've been thinking about recently who has all of the younger generation's attention? YouTubers, musicians, sports brands, athletes. We are competing with them. We are competing with them for young people's attention. There are YouTubers with millions of followers. Young people, 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 13-year-olds, they follow their every move. That's who we're competing with. It's not like the old days anymore. It's completely changed. The landscape's completely changed. We, It's not only charities that people go to now to find out information. It's platforms. It's YouTube channels. It's Netflix documentaries. The space has changed. How are we going to get this subject onto those stages? And that's something that I'm trying to work out. And if we can do that, then we really start spreading the word. You're right, uh, Jeremy. I actually thought about that. What are the tools we can use to, you know, project what is going on in a society? How do people really know about the subject? How do they consume what's going on as in spread the words spread the message and bring about epidemic called child sexual abuse domestic violence emotional abuse verbal abuse well we have to keep talking about this we have to keep doing this until the whole world or the global village so to speak get to know that this is a serious topic that needs to be attended to right and what a mission that is and that is a mission that is big enough to motivate many many lives the mission of trying to get this subject onto everybody's table is a challenging one a very difficult one And we don't have all the answers and we're trying to find them. But what a mission this is. This is a mission that will motivate many, many, many lives. It's got artistry. It's got creativity. It's got discipline. It's got the academic side of it. It's got encouragement, excitement when we progress. And 
that's an incredible thing. And I think as a, like you say, as a global village, we can do something really special with this. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you. Grace, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate the questions because sometimes I'm doing these interviews and I can see people have just gone through my website quickly and they just want a conversation. But I see that you've really uh, done your research. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Jeremy, uh, for coming on the show. How can people contact you? Can you give us your social media handles or websites? Yeah, no problem. The website's jeremyindica.com, I-N-D-I-K-A. Everything is on there. The history of this project, where we're at now, and the vision for the future. All the social media icons are on there as well, if you'd like to come and follow. And actually, I'd encourage you to come and follow, because this isn't just a platform of statistics or information. It's actually a journey that we're all all coming along for the ride so i'm explaining when things are um, uh, announcements are there or things go wrong or things go great or there's new features so i'm really trying to to turn this into a journey that we can all all come along with so yeah jeremyindica.com thank you so much listeners i hope you've enjoyed this show and found it enlightening see you on our next episode Has any of my listeners had any experiences in relation to this topic today? Kindly leave comments and your thoughts rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com. We would like to listen and share your views. Thank you. I'm your host, Grace Hopper, for Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Raza. See you on our next episode. Thank you and bye for now. Be safe and be positive. If you've got any questions or inquiries, you can get in touch rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com or our social media platforms rising above shadows of abuse at TikTok rising above shadows of abuse, Twitter rising above abuse, YouTube rising above shadows of abuse.